Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Here we are, just a few days before Christmas. Now, are you excited? Are you ready? Even though many of us won't be celebrating Christmas like we usually do, I trust you're still anticipating a great Christmas season and looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, today is December 20th, the last Sunday of the Advent season. And beside me here, we have our four candles of Advent uh, lit up on the wreath here. The candles of hope, joy, peace, and love. I trust you're ready and raring to go. But if you're not, let's watch a short video retelling the Christmas story, well, from a kid's perspective. Take a look at this video. An angel came to see Mary. She was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, what, I can't, I can't say good. Mary, you're going to have a baby. I, you're going to have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager, and I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh, yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. They tried to go to a hotel, and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms. Literally, no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is getting born who is king of the Jews. The angel were singing. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. Then the wise man heard about it. And then a star appeared. We should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, to have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, some <laughs> shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. 
too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world. Now, that was an interesting version of the story, wasn't it? Now, as cute as that was, we know that as far as accuracy goes, that probably wasn't very close to what we understand actually happened on the night that Jesus was born. But when you think about the images or the story in your mind, do you even have it right? Are you even sure your version is accurate? Now, on the screen is a typical nativity scene picture. Take a look as I continue speaking. What are some of the details in this image that are either wrong or unconfirmed to the Christmas story? What images or accounts of this story are really myths? Well, let me put out a few just from the picture that you saw. First, although this picture doesn't show it as clearly as others you may have seen, Jesus' birth would not have occurred on December 25th nor in the winter season. Historians have suggested that more than likely Jesus would have been born in the late spring or perhaps the early summer. Second, almost every nativity scene is set in a stable. But if you read the text, you'll note that it never says that Jesus was born in a stable. It only says that Mary laid him in a manger. Now, since a manger was used to feed livestock, the assumption was made then is that Jesus must have been in a stable or a barn of some sort. Now, in Bible times, it was common for mangers to be kept in the main lower floor of a home because animals were often housed just a few feet away from the main living spaces. In addition, the stories often include some aspect of how an innkeeper had to turn Mary and Joseph away because the inn was full. It was a time of the census and everyone who originally was from Bethlehem had returned to this small city just as Joseph and Mary had done. But the inn wasn't like a, a holiday inn. It wasn't full of paying visitors. There wasn't a no vacancy sign on the outside. Joseph would have most likely gone to a relative's home to stay, and this relative's home would have been full. The Greek word used for inn is actually more accurately translated guest room. And so a, a better understanding of what happened here is that Mary and Joseph would not have had a guest room to stay in at Joseph's relative's house. And so they were relegated to one of the lower uh, floors, one of the lower floors where the animals may have been kept. It's interesting, isn't it? Third, did you notice the bottom part of a star's glow in the upper right of the picture? And of course, you see that there are three wise men with their gifts, worshiping the baby being held in Mary's arms. Well, a couple of things to point out here. The bright star which led the wise men to the place where Jesus was born wouldn't have appeared on the night that Jesus was born. The wise men only saw the star and made their way to Judea and eventually to Bethlehem months, maybe even a couple of years after Jesus was born. And there's nothing in the record to suggest that there were three wise men that's only speculation based on the fact that the three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, are mentioned. There, there could have been three wise men. There could have been less, or there, there could have been more. We just don't know. Now, there are other problems, so to speak, with this typical nativity scene that I'm not going to get into this morning, but you can look them up for yourself. 
So why did I point these things out? Was it to shatter the dreams and the imagination of our children and those who are younger who are watching? I suppose you think the next thing I'm going to talk about is Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or the, the Tooth Fairy, right? But, well, no. I highlight these what I'm calling myths of Christmas. Because if we create an image of the Christmas story in our minds that isn't accurate, we actually might miss the entire point and the entire focus of the nativity story. The myth of Christmas then actually becomes the story of Christmas. And we myth the whole point and meaning. Have you ever waited with great anticipation for something only to discover that when the time came, you actually missed it? Maybe it was simply a missed date or a missed time. Maybe you had a big, a big date set up and you got the date or the time wrong and you missed that opportunity. Maybe you were given wrong or faulty information. I know I've missed appointments or meetings or similar things on occasion because I either forgot or I, I didn't have the details right. But have you ever missed something significant because you were looking at or actually looking for the wrong thing? Remember the movie The Matrix? There's that scene where Neo is in training and they've put him in a program, which is a typical busy street. Everyone looks the same. And Morpheus is talking to Neo and explaining some of the things that they need to do as they, as they try to, you know, defeat the Matrix or this supercomputer. When suddenly a bright, uh, sorry, a woman in a bright red dress walks by and Neo's attention is drawn to this woman. Then all of a sudden an agent, the enemy, is right behind Neo with a gun pointed to his head. Now the woman, uh, the point of the woman in the red dress is to show how easy it is to be distracted and to lose focus. The problem is, if you're focused on things of lesser importance and of lesser significance, you miss out on the things that are of the most importance and the most significant. I wonder if the same thing doesn't happen at Christmas most every year. What I mean is, I wonder if we get so focused on the things of Christmas that are of lesser importance, we actually miss the things that are of the most importance. Even though just over, I think it's about 160 of the approximately 200 countries of the world celebrate Christmas in, in some shape or form, I also wonder if a majority of them also myth Christmas. But even right here, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, I wonder if too many of our neighbors, our friends, our classmates, our teammates, our coworkers also myth Christmas. And of course, I wonder if too many of us, those of you who are watching this morning, listening to me this morning, also myth Christmas. Whether we have a faith background or not, whether we consider or call ourselves Christ followers or not, do we, in the middle of our celebrations, actually myth Christmas? This morning, as we enter into this final week, actually these final few days before Christmas, I want to share with you three ways I think we actually myth Christmas. And my personal prayer for each of us is that we can take these coming few days to capture or to recapture the true spirit, message, and meaning of Christmas, the real significance of Christmas, and not be drawn away from all of those things that are really insignificant. Let me begin by simply reading our theme verse this morning, which is found in Matthew 1, verses 21 to 23. 
Here we read the angel speaking to Joseph. This is what he says. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the first way we might myth Christmas is when we focus on the gifts and not the giver. Gifts and gift giving are as traditional to Christmas as, I don't know, having rice at a Chinese dinner. In fact, when you ask most people what they do at Christmas, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone or even any family where gifts are not the key to their celebrations. Kids anticipate for months what they're going to get for Christmas, and they wake up early or stay up late simply for the gifts. I'd actually argue that gifts have become the centerpiece, the central practice, and even the central message of Christmas. Some sources suggest that in Canada, the giving of gifts at Christmas only began actually in the late 1800s. And most historians acknowledge that the giving of gifts at Christmas is to symbolize the gift of Jesus given to the world by God himself. But over the years, perhaps linked to our Western consumerist culture, the symbol, the gift, has actually become the message, the main thing. And we've lost our focus on the giver. Watch any Christmas scene unfold, and you'll likely you'll see, if you're lucky, a cursory thank you, a hug, or a kiss to the gift giver, and then complete focus and attention on the gift. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and he was traveling along the border of Samaria and Galilee. He entered a small village where 10 men afflicted with leprosy came to meet him. Now, these 10 men, upon seeing Jesus enter their village, shouted from a distance, as they were required to do, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, Jesus could have immediately healed them, but he chose not to, instead giving them a test of their faith. He tells them, go show yourselves to the priests. Well, these 10 men do as Jesus commands, and as they are on their way to the priest, they are miraculously healed. These men must have been so incredibly excited at this amazing gift given to them by Jesus. I can picture them staring at their arms and legs with disbelief and excitement. Maybe they were shouting and whooping it up as they gave themselves high fives. Likely their first thought would have been to continue to the priest so that they could be declared clean once again and re-enter society and be together again with their families. However, one, just one, turns around and as Luke 17, 15 to 16 tells us, came back to Jesus, shouting his gratitude, glorifying God. He knelt at Jesus' feet, so grateful. He couldn't thank him enough. And then our text notes that he was a Samaritan. Only one of those 10 lepers saw beyond the gift and returned to give thanks to the giver. See, if the practice of giving gifts is supposed to symbolize the ultimate gift of God to us, then our focus at Christmas also needs to be on God, the giver of all good gifts. 
In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says, referring to the surpassing grace of God in all its forms, but, but also especially in the form of Jesus, he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. But thanks be to God. You see, we can recapture the heart of Christmas when we focus on the giver and not just on the gifts. Let me suggest just one practical way you, you might want to try in your home this year. What if you took time this year to share some thoughts, some attributes, things that you appreciate about the person who gave you the gift before diving headlong into seeing what you got and then assessing whether you like it or not? And then share ways in which you can show thanks and appreciation and love to the giver of the gift. Because of the circumstance, maybe this year is a year for a handwritten note or a phone call, not just a text, but a phone call. Take time to focus on the giver. We myth Christmas when we focus on the gifts and not on the giver. Second, we myth Christmas when we focus on what I'm calling the sparkle and not the sacrifice. Now, I fully admit, I love the Christmas season. And one of the main reasons is the lights and the decorations that are up on homes, on the streets, in the malls, and so on. In what can often be a cold and dreary time of year, the lights and the decorations and the general sparkle of Christmas just bring something special, something positive. Now, we have a few Christmas traditions in our home, and they include the putting up of lights and the decorations. Each year, Michelle puts out our winter Christmas village, and we put up a Christmas tree. Ever since, I think it's 2004, we have bought one of those personalized family ornaments from those kiosks in the mall, and we add that to our ornament collection. We prepare, and we put out Christmas stockings. And slowly but surely, gifts are wrapped with cute or shiny paper and bows and placed under the tree. And on Christmas Eve, we take a drive around the city look at the Christmas lights and the Christmas displays. I'm sure many of you also have your Christmas routines that involves the lights and the decorations and the sparkle as well. Now, I'm not saying that all the lights and the decorations and so on aren't warranted, and they're, even important, uh, they're an even important part of our celebrations. But in the midst of all the sparkle and glitz, we might forget that Christmas is also a time that included Great sacrifice. Great sacrifice. First, the willingness of God to send His one and only Son, knowing what He would have to go through and knowing that He would eventually sacrifice Himself on the cross on our behalf. I, I get that it's hard to imagine emotions in God, but we remember that we are created in His image. Our ability to feel to have these emotions, to express or to, to feel this gamut or, or range of emotions is, is from God. And throughout Scripture, we see the incredibly wide range of emotions, both from God and from His Son, Jesus. Righteous anger to overwhelming sadness. Unfettered joy to deep heartbreak. God, Jesus, felt, felt it all. So it wasn't just nothing. It wasn't just cold and callous or unfeeling for God to send His Son and to sacrifice His Son to come to earth. It was an incredible act of sacrifice by God 
on our behalf. Second, we must consider and remember the sacrifice of Jesus himself. Remember that Jesus gave up his glory, everything he had in heaven, and willingly took on the form of man, so that he could ultimately be our sacrifice, sacrifice for our sin, and to take on the punishment that we deserved. Philippians 2 just puts it so, so beautifully. Here Paul writes, Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal, equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to, to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Perhaps this Christmas, we need to also remember and yes, celebrate the sacrifice of God and the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. Here's an idea. Ask your children to choose one of their gifts. Uh, maybe not their best gift, but certainly not their worst, worst gift. And maybe sacrifice it to someone else in need. If you know a family or if you're connected to a ministry that serves the less fortunate, consider giving some of your Christmas blessings to them. And then sit down as a family or with other individuals and talk about what it means to sacrifice and actually the joy that can come from giving something up to help someone else. You see, we myth Christmas when we only focus on the sparkle. We don't remember the sacrifice. Third, we myth Christmas when we focus on the party and not on the person. Now, obviously, Christmas 2020 is going to be quite different from Christmases of past, as we have been asked to limit our Christmas gatherings in a very significant way. However, in those Christmas past, gathering together, organizing parties is a mainstay of the season. Families literally travel around the world to be with other family members during Christmas. Holidays are arranged around this time of year, so get-togethers can happen. Hosts spend hours, even days, planning and organizing food and activities. Kids and grandkids will perform skits or dances or, or some musical number. What celebration is complete without, without some kind of party, right? But in the middle of all the planning and organizing and cooking and traveling and partying, do we miss the person? Do we miss the person? Do we miss the person whom we are supposed to be celebrating. Now, now, I realize that this is the most obvious question asked by faith communities during the Christmas season, but it's a necessary question. And if you're not from a faith background, then maybe you need to ask, what are you celebrating? Is this just some tradition passed on down through the years, or is this really a celebration of the birth of Jesus? And if it is, what does that mean for you? Does the person, does Jesus Christ center your celebrations? Have you ever been to a birthday celebration or an anniversary even 
where the person or the couple you're celebrating is ignored or, or even worse, they're not even invited? How silly would that be? During a proper birthday party, everything centers on the person who is having the birthday. We have a tradition in our home is that when it's one of the kids' birthdays, uh, if we don't go out to eat, the, the tradition is that they get to choose the meal for that, for their birthday celebration, because it's all about them. Now, that seems obvious, but do we miss the person for the party? Like the phrase we commonly hear, the question is, how do we keep Christ in Christmas? Now, there are some things I know many families and even individuals do in order to keep Christ at the center of your Christmas celebrations. The Christmas story from Scripture is read before opening gifts. Christmas Eve or even Christmas Day uh, worship services are part of Christmas traditions. By the way, we have a great Christmas Eve service planned this year, even though we won't be gathering physically together. Thursday at 7 p.m., our Christmas Eve service will be shown as a premiere video on Facebook. But if you want to gather <clears throat> with a few others, we will also be hosting watch parties at the church building throughout the day. Now, for those of you who, because of these COVID restrictions, find yourself alone during the holidays, sign up for one of these watch parties and gather with a few others to celebrate Christmas and celebrate Christmas Eve. But, but here are a few other ideas to keep the person, Jesus Christ, the focus of our parties. How about this? Share not only the Christmas story, but share the gospel, the good news of Jesus as a family, the good news that Jesus came to earth to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us, the good news that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the good news that Jesus came to give us life and to give it to it in abundance, the good news that through him we can be made right in our relationship with God. There's so much good news we can share. And here's another thing, don't just share it in your family, but take the good news to someone else, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a teammate. Share the good news. Find ways, even during this COVID time, to serve someone else. Deliver some baking or have your family shovel your neighbor's driveways. This weekend, the Ebenezer family and our church partners gathered together to put together food hampers for those we know who have need. Even now, begin praying and asking God, who can I be Jesus to this Christmas season? The key, I think, is this. How can you keep your focus outward this season? Our tendency is to be very inwardly focused, even during Christmas. We limit our parties to our families, and in other times, maybe to our extended families, maybe a few close friends. But our call is to be on mission for Jesus. And what better time is there to share Christ in creative and loving and sacrificial ways than during this Christmas season? You see, we myth Christmas when we focus on the party and not the person. Christmas 2020 will be unique for, for many reasons. But maybe each and every one of us whether you're single, in a family, in an extended family, an empty nester, wherever you might be, maybe each of us can experience Christmas this year in a fresh and a new way. If you, if you and your family have been ones to typically myth Christmas, 
Maybe you can recapture or capture the wonder of the season by focusing not on the gifts, but on the giver, not on the sparkle, but on the sacrifice, and not on the party, but on the person. As our Advent wreath here beside me says, Christmas represents the love, the joy, the peace, and the hope we all desperately need and is found only in Jesus Christ. As you celebrate Christmas this year, let's turn myth into reality. Merry Christmas. Trust you have a great celebration. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.